Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage from today comes from 1 Samuel, verse 18, 1 through 5. Listen for what God is saying to you. As soon as David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan's life became bound up with David's life, and Jonathan loved David as much as himself. From that point forward, Saul kept David in his service and wouldn't allow him to return to his father's household. And Jonathan and David, yeah, Jonathan and David made a covenant together because Jonathan loved David as much as himself. Jonathan, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his armor as well as his sword, his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful in every mission Saul sent him to do. So Saul placed him in charge of the soldiers, and this pleased all the troops as well as Saul's servants. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scriptures. Thank you, Genesis, for debut um, as a scripture reader in this community. Grateful for that. Uh, let's have a, a word of prayer as we get started. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to come together on days such as these, um, the dog days of summer when we uh, feel the, the air starting to chill in the evening and the cicadas are doing their thing and um, that we have an opportunity to gather here and be reminded that regardless of the season that we might find ourselves in, um, in terms of weather or in terms of our lives, your love and your presence remains. And so as we move into this time of uh, listening in a little bit closer to your, what your word has to say to us, I pray that you would clear away the to-do lists and the clutter of our minds, um, the anxieties that might be very real that are pressing on our hearts, and just help us to, um, to be present and hear what it is that your spirit has to say. So speak through me, maybe even in spite of me, um, so that we might... Um, catch a glimpse of what it is that you are trying to do within us and through us. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Many times uh, when I uh, have walked to the park with my daughter, Sella, uh, when we see children playing, she's like three years old, um, she says something along the lines of, oh, look, friends. And most of the time, we're too far away to actually see who any of these kids are, um, much less whether any of them are actual friends. Um, but it kind of gives me this lovely glimpse into how she sees the world, right? That everyone is a potential friend waiting to be made. And then we get to the park full of uh, kids and friends yet to be, and I watch her. She'll go up to a kid and say, hi, what's your name? My name is Sella. Tag, you're it, and she'll run away. And it's kind of hilarious, but also like a little sad, right? Because I see her perform this over and over again. Um, Hi, what's your name? Tag, you're it. As kid after kid ignores her attempt to connect and play. Sometimes she only has to do it once, but just as many other times, she'll have to keep trying and go back to the same kid a few times. Tag, you're it. Tag, you're it. Um, I saw her do this, I counted once, like six times to the same kid. And finally, the kid, I think, was like, 
okay, I'm it, you know, and just like started, eventually they were having fun, but, you know, I'm inspired by her complete lack of self-consciousness around rejection, right? Before anyone else has indicated interest in her, Sella puts herself out there with complete and utter openness, right? Determined, convinced that she is going to make a friend come hell or high water, right? It's inspiring, but it's also like a little terrifying because, of course, most of us know how much rejection can hurt. There are lots of times when I feel rejected on her behalf, right? And as I reflected on our sermon series and all the challenges of what it can be to make friends as an adult, I realized something. The older we get, the less willing most of us are to put ourselves out there like that. When it comes to friends, or with or without benefits, right, most of us are hesitant to make the first move, and most of us definitely don't want to be rejected, especially if there's a lot to lose. And so that's what makes, I think, our passage for today all the more remarkable. Here we see Jonathan not just open up, but completely offer his heart to this young teenager, David. These guys are like the OG soulmates, right? Our translation today um, uses the word life when it talks about how their lives were bound to one another, but some translations use the word soul, that their souls were bound together. Now David, who's fresh off his surprise win over Goliath, who's probably still holding his slingshot, right, when he gets adopted into Saul's household. David, the youngest, least significant son in an insignificant tribe, suddenly swooped up in a kind of rags-to-riches story here. Um, and here he stands before the oldest son of the king, the next in line to the throne, on the receiving end of this intense and completely unself-conscious declaration of commitment and love. It was a demonstration of complete vulnerability and devotion, and even more than that, it was a relinquishing of Jonathan's own inheritance. So there's some symbolism in this um, story. When he takes off his royal robe and gives it to David, that is him giving him his status in, in his lineage, right? His inheritance. And and then when he takes off his armor and his sword, right, his bow and his belt, he's saying, I'm letting my defenses down. I'm yours. It's beautiful and powerful and totally overwhelming. And so I'm kind of not that mad at David for being silent in this moment, right? Maybe he's never had someone do something like this. Maybe it never even occurred to, the, to him that something like this could happen, especially from one of the most powerful people in society. Maybe it's super uncharacteristic for a man to do this to another man in quite that same depth of, um, of love and vulnerability. And in the history of interpreting this passage, unsurprising to many of us, there's been a, a queer reading of the text to interpret and understand Jonathan's declaration of love as romantic. And I'll be honest, at, my, at this, from my vantage point, it sure seems like it, right? It's true that there has been no more powerful and detailed account of, passion, of passionate love between two men than this moment in, um, in Scripture and as their relationship unfolds over time. There's nothing else like it. This is totally possible, and I think it's a fair interpretation of the story. It's also possible that their love was deeply passionate and intimate, but not sexual, 
It could be challenging for us, I think, in our day and age with our norms around masculinity and so like what is okay to, to be, how, how are men intimate with one another um, in relationship, um, as well as our conversations around LGBTQ inclusivity to see this story um, th out through our lens. It can be hard to see it outside of that lens, right? Um, and that's, it's totally fine and legitimate to read this scripture um, through a queer lens, um, as long as we're just aware of our lenses, right? And respect what, what the, the ambiguity of, of, of us not entirely understanding and living in the time that it existed. But regardless, right, whether the love that Jonathan and David felt for, uh, felt for one another, whether, wherever it falls on the spectrum, right, one thing is made clear over and over again throughout the story. It was true. It was a true love, and it was very strong that they had for one another. But in this moment, when David is first confronted with the fullness of Jonathan's feelings, right, it's a lot to process. So I'm not mad that he's not quite sure how to respond, or, you know, but I do sort of like feel for Jonathan because there he is pouring out his heart and his soul and like nothing, right? Or at least nothing worth writing down on paper, apparently. Could you ever imagine putting yourself out there so completely with no evidence of reciprocation? That's courage. And that's the kind of courage it takes to make a friend, right? I mean, you don't have to strip down and give your inheritance away, but, like, I mean, you at least have to put yourself out there, right? Research has shown that um, beginning at the age of 25, we start losing friends faster than making them, which is sort of depressing, right? Has this been your experience? Maybe, right? We move, we change, our friends change, we get really busy, uh, we stop finding ourselves in spaces and circumstances that tend to facilitate friend-making. All the casual meet-and-greet things that you go to end up being, like, professionally related, right? Which may or may not be the kind of crowd of people that you want to make friends with. You just have to be, like, a lot more intentional. Why is it so much easier for Sella to go up to random people and repeatedly engage them in a game of tag, whether they like it or not, than for you or I to say to someone, like, hey... You know, you seem like a really interesting person. Want to hang out in a platonic way, right? <laughs> or like a less weird version of that. But I think it's a bit of a cop-out for me to blow her off, right, and say, well, she's three and I'm older than three. And yet, that's how we rationalize it. But okay, if it feels like too much, if it feels like you're like, hey, pastor, I need more of a direction, right? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Uh, I just learned about Bumble BFF, which means most of you have probably known about it for three years. Uh, but in the off chance you don't, you might want to check it out, right? It takes the concept of online dating and matchmaking, but with friends, like specifically for making friends. Or you could follow the tips that are offered by uh, the podcast Nancy, maybe some of you have heard that, on how to find your gaggle, uh, which they define as a group of gay friends. But personally, I think that these tips are just as good for the breeders among us. Here's what they suggest. The first is ask yourself what's getting in the way. So do you work weird hours? Do you live in an area where it makes it hard for you to connect with people? Do you move long distance frequently for jobs or school or you're never in one place long enough to build an enduring friendship? What can you do to address these things that are getting in the way? So that's one thing that they, they kind of um, lift up. Another is um, think about how, how you would approach friend making and friendship differently if you were paid to do it on an hourly basis, which I thought was really interesting, right? So 
Uh, it sounds a little silly, but you, it really might kind of help like, give you some clarity on how you would spend your time if you were like on a three-hour shift of friend-making getting paid $25 an hour, right? Like, and maybe you could even sort of like ratchet it up and say, like, what if I got paid by commission, right? Um, if, that, if you're the kind of person who, who sort of is motivated by that kind of thing. Uh, for some of you, it might ratchet up the anxiety, right? But that's okay, because all you, ha you have to remember, too, is that everyone is anxious, right? Everyone is anxious and self-conscious. Everyone is insecure in some way, feeling like I don't want, you know, I'm like someone else, I'm, I'm not going to be the one rejected, right? So for you, that anxiousness might be like, you have a watch tan. Um, for me, it might be that my daughter has a million times more friends than me. Um, but, you know, everyone's got a thing, so Hakuna Matata. Um, she's in a Lion King phase right now. Um, <laughs> And so let's say you make all the connections um, and you do the like, hey, we should hang out in a platonic way, you know, some, sometime kind of thing. So between then and the actual hangout, because we all know how schedules can get, and you go back and forth, how about this day, how about this day, right? Between then and the actual hangout, you should engage in a textual relationship. So you could do it unprotected or not. <laughs> There's no such thing as a textually transmitted disease. Okay, I'm sorry, I just had to. Like, so um, I was on a roll. But regardless, it's texting, right, is a good way to sort of stay in touch, right? Especially when you're having a hard time getting together, right, because of schedule. So you, it kind of keeps the sort of communication going back and forth. Oh, I saw this funny thing or, you know, check out this meme, whatever. Um, so think of it as sort of a digital way to play tag, right? Finally, uh, be appropriately vulnerable. Now, the Nancys are not saying this, but I think that this is a part of what makes us as people of faith like who we are, right? A willingness to go deeper in conversation and relationship, um, to demand something like that from friendship, right? Now, off the bat, it's probably not a good thing to drop their heaviest baggage uh, onto the, into the conversation, and I don't think that's being superficial. Um, I, it's just like, you know, we've all kind of like sort of got to warm up to each other before we learn about the sixth toe, right? Um, so also like therapists exist for a reason too, right? So it's totally fine to be honest about the questions or issues that you might be grappling with. Um, and if you want your friendship to like deepen, right, into something much more meaningful, it has to do that. Like you have to be able to go deeper. Um, but first, kind of, it's helpful on the front end to like focus on the things that you have in common with, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have a six toe too, right? Or something. Um, and then like build out from there, right? So these are just some concrete suggestions if you're like looking for a place to start. And some of us are, right? Because somehow like you got spit out at the end of college and you're like, I made friends and it was really easy, but like now I'm in a new city, I've changed and I want to like you know, do, do my life differently? Like, how do I, how do I, do I go on meetup? Like, do I just kind of sit in a park and try to engage people? That's kind of weird. Um, so, you know, like people kind of just, like here are some suggestions, right? If you don't like them, then throw me suggestions. Um, but also like the Nancys, uh, because they are lovely people and they want to help you, they invited folks to sign up for tips and even like challenges for building your gaggle on their website. So you can go to nancypodcast.org slash friends um, and sign up for tips if you're sort of like, yeah, I could use a little bit more uh, fodder for my friend making um, efforts. So um, recommend that. Um, but you know, the underlying message is that you have to do something. 
right? You have to be intentional. Even if you think you might not even have that much in common with someone, but you think they're like pretty okay, right? You're like willing to lower your standards a little bit. Um, keep trying in that relationship. You don't know really who they are until you get to know them, right? Until you get to know their stories and just kind of spend time with them. You have to put yourself out there um, with both time and consistency because that's how new friends become old friends, right? One study said it takes about 200 hours to make a good friend, which if you like went full time, right, you could do that in a month. Um, but uh, probably, unless you're stuck on a stranded island somewhere or st stranded on an island somewhere, it's not going to work out like that quickly, right? So you just kind of just give it some time. Um, you have to go through stuff. You have to share experiences. You have to build history, right? Rarely does it just fall in your lap. Now, for David and Jonathan. Their friendship also like, had this additional stressor to it because um, Saul, uh, Jonathan's dad, became super jealous of David's success and popularity. And then he ended up like, accusing Jonathan of trying to sabotage him and even went on this like, years-long manhunt to capture and kill David. Talk about a relationship stressor, right? And throughout all of this, you see like David and Jonathan like intentionally touching base with each other. David's like, I know your dad's gonna kill me. Are you like, are you in on this? And Jonathan's like, no, I promise I'm not. And you kind of see this go back and forth, um, meeting in the backs of like, you know, boulders somewhere in the middle of the Near East, I don't know. Um, so, but they were kind of constantly touching base and they're like, no, we're good, we're good. Um, reassuring each other of their commitment and love. They were intentional. There was an intentionality about keeping their relationship strong. Like, even if you get along with your friends all right, like, you, you can't rely on the fact that, like, it's always just going to be okay without putting in some effort and energy to build that relationship. And they definitely did that. Now, Jonathan is definitely, like, the more emotionally expressive one between them. Um, and so it would be kind of easy to think, like, David was, like, not that into him. Um, but... Uh, David's love and commitment shows up really clearly, usually, this all sort of feels like it always happens, right, after Jonathan has died. So he's like, oh my gosh, I realized what I had. Um, but first, so first, David grieves, um, grieves both Saul and Jonathan in this like traditional way, ripping his clothes and fasting. But then he sings this funeral song, and at one point he sings, I grieve for you, my brother Jonathan. You were so dear to me. Your love was more amazing to me than the love of women. Look how the mighty warriors have fallen. And the depth of David's love doesn't end there. Like once things get settled down politically and David is secured in his leadership position, which is like a genteel way of saying he killed everyone in Jonathan's family. Um, once he kind of has his claim to the throne, David goes looking for a way to honor Jonathan um, and the love and commitment that he had for him. So he says, is there anyone from Saul's family still alive that I could show Faithful love for Jonathan's sake. And that term, Colleen lifted it up earlier, that term, faithful love, this term is the same one that we looked at last week, hesed. David asks, is there anyone from Saul's family that I could show hesed for Jonathan's sake? Loving kindness, faithfulness. David's love for Jonathan. Ruth's love for Naomi. A love with depth and commitment that demands something. And David finds out that Jonathan's only son, Mephibosheth, is still alive. He was like secreted away um, during all the chaos. And he says, and he, he says, and he promises to show him Hesed, to care for and provide for him faithfully 
on behalf of Jonathan. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to take you in, and I'm going to love you as my own son because I loved Jonathan so much. It all started with a choice to be vulnerable. And that first choice became a series of choices to lean in during the hard times, to show up and show love, to be a friend. Are you willing to be a friend? Everyone wants a friend, but most of us are afraid to make the first move. We're all just like standing a few feet apart from each other, wanting to be connected, but afraid to like reach out in any way, right? Will you reach out? Will you try it? Will you be brave enough, humble enough, vulnerable enough to make the first move? If, if there's anything we've learned about friendship over these past few weeks, it's that there's a moment when you kind of have to like make this leap of faith, right? Where you have to put yourself out there in a way that feels risky. That's exactly what Ruth did for Naomi. I'll follow you anywhere. And Ruth wasn't in a place where she could, or Naomi wasn't in a place where she could receive that. But Ruth did it anyway. That opens you up to being hurt or rejected or just not reciprocated, right? And if there's anything that you've noticed about how God works in the world, it's that it happens, though, most dynamically in those times when we give up power, right? When we take off our robes, our status, when we let down our armor, our defenses, Letting go of power and embracing vulnerability. Like, these are markers of what Jesus later called the kingdom of God. These are markers of friendship, and Christian friendship in particular. Making the first move is a form of giving up power, right? The power of being in control, the power of not being rejected, the power of safety and isolation, of ego, It doesn't always work out the way we'd hoped, right? Sometimes you might get rejected five or six times in a row, but eventually someone's going to (laughs) cave. It doesn't always work out the way we'd hoped. Jesus knows something about that, right? But I guarantee, and I think our passage shows today, that offering yourself up in relationship with others, it can change your life. It can change the life of others, too. And it might even change the world. Jesus knows something about that, too. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you invite us to the hard kingdom work of being vulnerable, of offering ourselves to one another, and that you don't just invite us into that, but that you demonstrate it every single day. Help us to be people of enough courage that we would step outside of ourselves, secure enough, in our friendship with you, in our love that we have um, given by you, to step out and offer ourselves in relationship to those around us. Help us to remember that when we do these things, it is a kind of discipleship, of giving up power, of trying to embody what it's like to live your kingdom here on earth. And so help us to be people of that kind of courage and help us to encourage each other to embody that kind of courage. That this world might know that there's nothing wrong with offering ourselves in relationship with one another. And we might have everything to gain in the process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.